The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Matthew chapter number 1. And I want you to go back, flip back a page, and go to Malachi, Malachi chapter number uh, 4 and verse number 6. Malachi chapter number 4 and verse number 6. And notice what we noticed last week where it says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a what? A curse. Now, if you'll flip to Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 1, notice the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. So you end on this, this kind of a somber note. Remember, there's 400 years of silence where God is not revealing himself through inspired word nor through, uh, through prophet preachers coming to his people. It's silent. And there is, there is a very dark period in, uh, in Israel's history at that point. And then we open up the New Testament, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and so on. We're not going to read all the way through the, um, the genealogies, but we are going to take some instruction from them and draw some highlights from them. But I wanted you to get, um, grab a hold of that. Immediately as we come into the New Testament, we are, we are confronted with this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, as being the answer to Israel, Israel's problems, though they rejected him. He came unto his own. His own received him not. And we find that he is the answer to the problems that we, uh, we face in life and in the world. And so let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time this evening. Father, thank you once again for your word, for the instruction that it is going to give us this evening. Thank you for the greater picture of what you were you were doing and have been doing throughout human history to bring about redemption to fallen people like, uh, like myself and like these that have gathered and like those that we bump shoulders with all week. And Lord, I pray that you would just encourage our hearts through what you were doing over, over just a long period of time uh, to accomplish your will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, think about this. If you were to... Uh, be restless at night and uh, struggling to fall asleep, you probably would not go and, and find a genealogy to read. Um, perhaps, I don't know if any of you have gotten on Ancestry.com or Genealogy.com and uh, begun to look at, at some of those things. Uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting study, but not, not necessarily the thing that you just go, you know, I'm going to read through. I'm gonna, this is pleasurable reading. I'm going to read through these things. It, it, it tends to be a little bit dry, a little bit dusty, uh, kind of what use does this have to me? Now, the fact of the matter is, whatever God has placed inside of Scripture, we know with our minds that, that it is there for a purpose, and it is there, uh, and it is important. And we have to believe that even about the genealogies that God chose to put in Scripture, especially the genealogies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we understand from Scripture, we understand from their placement in these, uh, Matthew and as well in Luke chapter number 3, that the genealogy of Jesus Christ is especially important for us to understand what God was trying to convey. The purpose of the genealogy, and this is, this is important for you to remember, the purpose of the genealogies of Jesus Christ was to establish Jesus' legal and his physical right to the throne of David. 
Now notice as it starts out there, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David. We'll note this a little bit more in, in, uh, later on, but the son of David is a phrase that Matthew likes to use. It's used some ten times, and that's an important phrase. But here it is, this genealogy is imp important to proving his right to the throne. I was uh, talking with someone earlier today about genealogies and this, uh, the genealogy of Christ. And uh, you remember a couple years back, everyone was very enthused about knowing, uh, uh, knowing uh, the, uh, Barack Obama's birth certificate, knowing where it was, right? They wanted to know, right? And, and the fact of the matter is, there, there's, there, it, it, it would help prove legitimacy is what was going on. People wanted to know that. Well, in the same way, God has put in, in here, he has given uh, very clear details to help us to know the legitimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Legitimacy is important, is it not? It is. And so God has given us these genealogies to help us to realize that who God said and prophesied through the prophets would be on the throne uh, one day and, and would be this, this rightful king, rightful heir to the throne of David, this, this Messiah, that it actually was him. And so he puts the genealogies here in Matthew, chapter number 1, verses 1 through 17, and Luke, chapter 3, verses 23 through um, 38. He puts these in here to give us the, um, the legal and physical right that Jesus had to the throne of David. Now, some people credit, uh, use these genealogies to try to pull apart scripture and, and uh, uh, prove or show some contradictions. And certainly as you read through it, if you were to read through them, uh, genea uh, Matthew's genealogy goes uh, from, from, uh, from Jesus, or I'm getting, uh, getting them turned around, and you're going to have to help, help me out here. Verse number two, from Abraham to Jesus, and the, uh, Luke's genealogy goes backwards. And so when, if you reverse them and you put them side by side, you're going to see some things that are like, well, what's going on here? The fact is it does take study and, uh, and putting them side by side. It takes study and to uh, look at them and see what exactly is going on. And they do not contradict. This is something important to understand. Genealogies to the Jewish people were very, very important. Still are. They, they took extreme measures to be accurate in them. But even in Christ's day, uh, the genealogy that we read here was not under dispute by those who love Christ, nor by the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a widely accepted thing. So while today people might pick at these and say, what's going on here? There's some contradictions. A, a little bit further study will help. I've given you a chart there that helps us to look at, uh, look at Joseph's line and Mary's line, the differences between the two genealogies. This is just uh, something for you to tuck away um, for future reference. But Joseph's line is uh, listed in Matthew. It begins with Abraham. Uh, it shows the legal right uh, that Jesus had to the throne of uh, David. Uh, and it also is traced through Solomon. Conversely, or in, in contrast, uh, uh, Luke's genealogy is Mary's line, the maternal line, begins with Christ, goes back all the way to Adam, it shows his physical right, who he was uh, physically, and the physical right he had to the throne, and it's traced through the other son, Nathan, the other son of David, Nathan. Now let's tuck those away and use that as a, a reference later on. But what do these genealogies teach us? What can we kind of look at them and, and pull them apart? You say, well, this is, this is, I look at all these names and my brain just kind of starts short-circuiting. What do these genealogies 
help us to understand. I want us to, to grab this as a kind of a, an overview lesson. First of all, it teaches us the surety of God's word. The surety of God's word. What God said would happen, happened. Let's notice how that, that, that is the case. First of all, notice this, that the Messiah was said, was promised by God, that, that he would come by the seed of the woman. We touched on that last week, but he, on Genesis 3 and verse number 15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, there was a separation between God and man now. Their fellowship has been broken. They spiritually have, have died. God promised in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between the, on thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Uh, it shall bruise thy head. God speaking to Satan, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Uh, one day the Messiah would come and he would um, put a lethal blow to Satan. I was thinking about this this week. As we think of all the chaos and the problems in our world, I was thinking about Jesus Christ was manifest into the world to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what's prophesied right here. He would put a lethal blow to the head of Satan. And so here it is that God says, hey, uh, Adam and Eve, there's going to come a Redeemer and it's going to come by the seed of the woman. In fact, the Messiah must come, must be of the seed of the woman. Luke's genealogy begins with Christ, traces all the way back to Adam to prove the point that, yes, indeed, this, this Messiah came by the seed of the woman. Look at Luke 3 and verse number 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. I've always enjoyed that particular verse, especially in listening through Scripture and, uh, and getting all the way to the end of that genealogy, and, and, which was a son of Adam, which was a son of God. What, a, what an amazing thought right there. And so Jesus Christ, right here in Luke's genealogy, is, is said, yes, he is of the seed of the woman. Notice, the Messiah must be the seed of the seed of Abraham. We find in Genesis 12, 3, in the covenant that God gave to Abraham, he says, through thee, all nations of the earth is going to be blessed. Not just Israel, not just your, uh, your uh, seed and your family, but all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So Matthew's genealogy begins with Abraham. Look at verse number two of Matthew. Abraham begat Isaac. It begins right there and begins to establish his connection uh, uh, with Abraham, and we find that there in Matthew 1 and verse number 2. And so again, God's word is coming true, and it is sure what God said would happen, happened. Notice that the Messiah must be of the seed of David. We find uh, it's mentioned in 1 Chronicles as well as in 2 Samuel 7 and verse number 12, the covenant that God makes with David. David wanted to build the temple for God. God said, it's not going to happen. I'm going to allow this to be done by your son Solomon. And he gives him a, a, a promise there of his, own, of his own seed continuing on. And, and even how, that, uh, how God dealt with Saul, that it wouldn't be the same way that God would deal with uh, a David's seed, and particularly Solomon. And we find there in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, And when the, thy days be fulfilled... And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers when you, when you die, when you pass away. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom 
forever. You can read more uh, concerning that, 1 Chronicles 17, verses 10 through 14. But God made this promise to Solomon and to David that David's seed, that David's family would continue forward. In the context of this unconditional promise, God is making this, this statement, hey, this is what's going to happen. Your, your, your kingdom, your throne is going to be forever. Now, something that's interesting, why don't you turn over to Jeremiah chapter number 22 and verse number 30. Jeremiah chapter number 22 and verse number 30. Because there was somebody in Solomon's line, or in Solomon's great-great-grandchildren, that uh, you talk about some real evil kings. Uh, we think of Manasseh as being an evil king. Um, what, a, what a crooked guy he was. But there's a man whose name was Jeconiah, or Jehoiakim. He's, he's called different names in Scripture, but... Jehoiakim, and uh, there was a curse put on him by God that no one else would sit on, the, on his throne, that he wouldn't have kids uh, to continue, the, uh, continue sitting on the throne. And we find in Jeremiah 22 and verse number 30, Jeremiah proclaims this from the Lord, Thus saith the Lord, Write ye this man, Jehoiakim, or Jeconiah, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. And you, you, you hear this and it's like, whoa, this happened. I want us to think about this. This is interesting. He was on the throne for three months and ten days. And during that time of his ruling, certainly in his life before he got to the throne, was sinful and evil in the eyes of the Lord, but in that short amount of time, God took him off the throne and uh, allowed him to be taken away by Nebuchadnezzar. So he's taken into, into captivity. And what's very interesting to me is there's this curse that's put upon, uh, upon him. And this, this curse, you, know, you have Solomon and all the, the, his children after him, his great-great-grandchildren and so on. And then there's this man. And uh, God notes him. But what I find very interesting is in the next chapter, Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse number 5, Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, and I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper. Now, wait a minute, just a few verses before, it says this man's, this man's seed is not going to prosper. Uh, in fact, this man isn't going to have children. There's no, there's no record of, of Jeconiah actually having children and, and so on. So he's not going to prosper. But I'm going to raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute ju judgment and justice in the earth. I want you to just stop right there. Beside what's going on in that context, that, that encourages my heart right there. Because if you realize what Jeremiah's prophesying right here is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this king, the Lord Jesus Christ, will exercise, execute judgment and justice in the earth. Aren't you thankful for that? Let that sink in. Do we not get alarmed when we see evil? 
But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who will reign, and one day he'll reign right here on earth, but he is king of kings even right now, and execute judgment and justice in the earth. Go on, verse number six. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell in safety, and this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. I love that. So what I want us to just catch hold of here is, is God is saying, listen, uh, I'm going to raise up. There is going to be a redeemer. There is going to be a Messiah, and he's going to come from the line of David. He's going to come from the seed of David. Even though there was problems in David's line, God was going to raise this, on this Messiah up through the line of David. As you think, Luke's genealogy is traced through Nathan, one of David's sons, and shows the, the, uh, the physical right, the Davidic right, that Jesus had to the throne. Matthew's traced through Solomon the le- uh, and shows the legal right uh, to the throne. And I just want us to, to grab a hold of that and, and, and tuck that away for thinking and just realize that God, when he says something's going to happen, it is going to happen. And we can rest assured that how God said the Messiah would come happened. He would be of the seed of a woman. He'd be of the seed of of Abraham, maybe of the seed of David, and all those things came to pass and are written down in the genealogy. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 19, verse number 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Is sure. And you know that gives us assurance in this day, right now, in our lives, whatever we're going through right now, that what God's word says will happen. And we can rest in it. It's happened in the past, and it will happen again. And it's a sure word of God. But I want us to notice the perfection of our Savior is being noted in the genealogies as well. Romans 5, verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. How does sin pass? How does the sin nature continue on? What do you think? Okay. <laughs> As by one man sin entered in the world and death by sin. He's going to get an elbow jab there. Rightfully so. Uh, but the Bible helps us understand that that passes that that sin nature passes down through um, through the man. Now I want you to think about something, and I I didn't plan to say this, but why don't you go to back to Genesis chapter number five. Genesis chapter number 5. Now, who was Adam and Eve made in? What image was Adam and Eve made in? Right, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Uh, Look at Genesis chapter number 5. It says this, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In that day they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat sons, now notice, in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. Isn't that interesting? Made in the image of God and then how the Bible says made in the image of Adam. You know, the sin, the sinful nature, that, uh, uh, that fallen nature passes down through the man. 
And so just notice here, if Jesus had been the biological son of Joseph, he would have had sin. He would have had that sin nature. How was God going to send into the world a perfect redeemer, the perfect God-man? And it was exactly through how he did. He sent it through the seed of a woman. The genealogies refer to Joseph in relation to Christ. And I want you to notice this. Matthew 1 and verse number 16. Notice this verse. It says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the, what? The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Who's the whom? Mary, of whom is born Jesus, who is called Christ. Notice what Luke says, Luke 3 and verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, now notice this parenthesis, do you see it? As was supposed, as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Now who's this Heli? This Heli is Mary's, Mary's dad, the father-in-law, or the son by law, the legal son of, um, of, of Joseph. And so uh, Joseph's father-in-law, I should say, Joseph's father-in-law, son by marriage in legal terms is what, it, what I'm getting at. And, and he says, as was supposed. So in Matthew, he's saying this is, uh, Joseph is the, the husband of Mary. We have in Luke, the father, as was supposed. So notice how the Bible, these genealogies interact or uh, relate to Joseph. Not, not the father, um, but the, the father as was supposed. And so Jesus is the son of God and was the firstborn son of Mary, a virgin. Behold, a, a virgin shall conceive and be with child and, and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us, Matthew one twenty three. So, what I want us to grab a hold of is the fact that even the genealogies just underscore the fact that he didn't come through Adam, he came through Mary. One last nugget, and this is a, a, a non-technical uh, nugget, and I find it to be very, very sweet. I want us to notice the grace of our Lord. And in Matthew's genealogy in particular, there are four individuals mentioned um, in kind of an unconventional way. There's four women that are mentioned in an all-male genealogy. Now, I've written them down in your sheet tonight, but uh, there's these, these four women that are mentioned, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba's not mentioned by name. She's alluded to um, by description, uh, the wife of Uriah. But the others are mentioned by name. Verse number three, Matthew chapter one, we find Tamar. She was a Canaanite, the Canaanite daughter-in-law of Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. Um, that wasn't an, a really good situation. Uh, there, beside the fact that they weren't supposed to be marrying uh, Canaanites, um, this, is, this, is, this is not necessarily a good situation. Rahab, if you remember her, um, she, was a, she was a wicked woman. She came to Christ, she believed, on, she believed on God, she became a part of, um, uh, of those that trusted in God. Uh, you remember from the land of Jericho, how she hid the spies and uh, believed on God and, and even her family was saved, but she was not a righteous person before. Uh, Ruth, she was a Moabitess, remember? 
uh, a Moabite who chose to follow after God and uh, came back with Naomi, back to Israel, uh, out of the land of the Moabites. Bathsheba, uh, the one with whom David committed adultery and really a mar on not just David's uh, life, but a mar on Israel's history and just, the, just a, a microcosm of their, their sin and their stepping away from God. And, and really, each one of these individuals uh, surrounding their life is a life of, of sin and redemption and coming back to God and, and the mercy and the grace of God. And what I find amazing is how that God allows their names to be listed and alluded to in the genealogy. And what is, what is key, uh, interesting to me is God could have mentioned many other uh, ladies in this genealogy, but he mentioned them. And what I want us to grab a hold of here is no matter your origin, no matter your past, no matter your failures as a child of God, uh, the only one mentioned here that is an Israelite is Bathsheba. No matter your failures as a child of God, God's grace extends there. And the beauty of God adding these four women into the genealogies, bringing the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ is just an exceptionally beautiful thing. And it just magnifies the grace of God uh, in, in, in our lives and in what God was doing in the world. And so each one of the names that we have not read all over, but each one of the names that are listed here are people just like you and, you and I. And not a one of them, if you would have gone up to them in the Old Testament times, would have said, oh yeah, I, I understand that you know, someday I'm going to be in the, the line of the Messiah. And they, they didn't have this perspective looking back. They, didn't, they lived lives just like you. They went to work. They raised children. They went, uh, went through trials. They had good days. They had blessings. They had frustrating days. They were overwhelmed. But you know, God was working through each one of their lives to bring the Redeemer into the world. And if we could just zoom out for a, for a minute and realize God placed the, this genealogy and yes to assure us of the right that Jesus had both legally and, and physically to the throne of David. And it, it's, it's written down, it's recorded, it's factual, it's, it was non-contested um, by those, uh, even the enemies of that day uh, to Christianity. But if we could also just realize that God, God is working out a plan in our individual lives, just like he did in their lives, to bring a, about his grand design. What is God doing through your life? Uh, what part do you play in the plan of God for future generations? Uh, what, what part uh, does your raising of your children and your encouragement of your grandchildren and your part in this church body, what, what part does that play for future generations or for the next generation? We look at this and we look at many, many, many generations that all led up to the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming to earth and, and the fulfillment of God's grand design of redemption. Each one of them were significant to God's plan, just like you're significant to God's plan. And uh, you might feel like your life's insignificant. You might feel like you don't make a difference, but from God's perspective, every person's significant. He placed each one of these names in scripture for us to read over and to, uh, to mispronounce sometimes, right? Uh, but he placed each one of them in scripture uh, to record their name, to record their significance to God's bigger plan. 
God's word is sure. What he said would happen, happened. And it will again. Jesus was perfect. He came, he was, he was born of a woman by the power of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God, it's overwhelming. You might think you've messed up. You might think that you're beyond the grace of God. You might know people that feel like they're beyond the grace of God, but none of us are beyond the grace of God. No matter our past, no matter where we come from, none of us are beyond the grace of God. All of this working out in, in God working in our lives, in our significant lives, to fulfill his plan and his big, uh, bigger uh, design. And I just encourage you to, uh, to consider the genealogies, perhaps read through them, grab a few of the names, um, but enjoy the fact that God, God is working out a bigger plan here, and he's continuing to do that in this day. May God use us in his plan. Father, thank you for what, you, uh, what you've placed here in Scripture. Uh, though many times we shy away from these parts of Scripture, thank you for the promise that your word is true, it's factual, and we have many things that prove that even in this day. Lord, thank you for the perfection of, the, uh, of Jesus Christ, that he was holy, Jesus Christ, the Lord our righteousness, is what you promised he would be. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Help us to extend that grace to others. And Lord, use us to continue your plan in this day to bring many people into the kingdom of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.